You are listening to the Ibn Abi Umar podcast. This is your host, Umar Osman. Alhamdulillah, nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nastaghfiruh wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa min sayyi'ati a'malina may yahdihillahu fala mudilla lahu wa may yudlil fala hadiya lahu wa ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lahu wa ashhadu anna Muhammadan 'abduhu wa rasuluhu. Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu attaqullaha haqqa tuqatih wa la tamutunna illa wa antum muslimun. Ya ayyuhan nas ittaqu rabbakum alladhi khalaqakum min nafsin wahida wa khalaqa minha zawjaha وَبَثَّ مِنْهُمَا رِجَالًا كَثِيرًا وَنِسَاءً وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ الَّذِي تَسَاءَلُونَ بِهِ وَالْأَرْحَامَ إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ عَلَيْكُمْ رَقِيبًا يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا اتَّقُوا اللَّهَ وَقُولُوا قَوْلًا سَدِيدًا يُصْلِحْ لَكُمْ أَعْمَالَكُمْ وَيَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ ذُنُوبَكُمْ وَمَن يُطِعِ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ فَقَدْ فَازَ فَوْزًا عَظِيمًا أَمَّا بَعْدُ فَإِنَّ أَسْتَكَ الْحَدِيثِ كِتَابُ اللَّهِ وَخَيْرُ الْهَدْيِ هَدْيُ مُحَمَّدٍ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ وَشَرُّ الْأُمُورِ مُحْتَثَاتُهَا وَكُلُّ مُحْتَثَةٍ بِدْعَةٌ وَكُلُّ بِدْعَةٍ ضَلَالَةٌ وَكُلُّ ضَلَالَةٍ فِي النَّارِ After the conquest of Mecca the Prophet وسلم, while he was still in Mecca left on an expedition known as the Battle of Hunayn And one thing important to understand about the Battle of Hunayn is that at the conquest of Mecca many people became Muslim at that particular moment in time. So a lot of the people that were accompanying the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, a lot of the sahaba, a lot of the companions were newly Muslim. And so this particular story is narrated by a sahabi who was Muslim only for one week when they set out on this expedition. And so he narrates, he says that and this is the companion's name is Abu Waqid al-Laythi He says that when we were on our way to Hunayn, we passed by a tree called Dhat Anwad. It was called the hanging tree. And he said that this was a tree that was luscious, it was you know, green, it was magnificent. And so the Quraysh would have a festival around that tree every year. And they would sacrifice animals to it. So they had essentially turned this tree into an idol. And he said that before battle they would go and they would hang their weapons off of this tree for good luck. For good luck in the battle. And so that's why it was known as Zat and Wat, the hanging tree. And so as they're passing it, this companion, he says to the Prophet sallallahu now keep in mind that this Sahabi is Muslim. He says, Ya Rasulullah, make for us a hanging tree like this, so that we can hang our weapons on it. Essentially, can you make for us something that also functions as a good luck charm? And the Prophet ﷺ said, Subhanallah, I swear by the one in whose hands is my soul, you have said exactly what Bani Israel said to Musa, Ya Musa, ja'al lana ilahan kama lahum aliha. O Musa, create for us a god like they have gods. Because when Bani Israel, when Allah saved them, they, He literally parted the sea, they crossed the Red Sea, they go to safety, and they find a nation worshiping idols. This is how the golden calf came, and they said, Ya Musa, make for us an idol like they have idols. And so even though this companion is a Muslim, and he is clearly not asking for an idol, this is exactly what the Prophet ﷺ compares it to. And then he says, By Allah, By Allah, this is a custom 
that you will follow the pathways of those who came before you. And so the question arises, how might exactly we follow that same pathway? When the Apostle is clearly warning us that this is the case, how might we accidentally do something like that? And so before we get there, we have to understand a little bit of what it means to worship Allah and what it means to associate partners with Allah. We know the very foundation of our religion. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَكَدْ بَعَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةِ الرَّسُولًا أَنْ يَعْبُدُ اللَّهَ وَاجْتَنِبُ الطَّاغُوتِ We sent a messenger to every nation, to every community saying, worship Allah and shun any type of false deity. So we know that this is our purpose of, of creation. We know that this is why every prophet was sent over and over, emphasizing the exact same message which is, worship Allah alone, do not ascribe any partners to Him. Right? We don't say, for example, that God has a son. We don't say that there is a God of fire and a God of water and a God of this and a God of that. Because those things are clearly polytheism. They're clearly ascribing a partner with Allah. And yet we find something very interesting. We find that the Prophet ﷺ told Abu Bakr, he said, Ya Abu Bakr, there is a shirk, there is an idolatry more hidden than the crawling of an ant. There is a type of shirk amongst you that is very hidden. It's not easy to see, it's not easy to observe. It's not easy to see that it's happening. And Abu Bakr asked the question that we're all probably wondering. He said, is there any idolatry other than taking a god alongside Allah? And he said, by the one in whose hand is my soul, there is an idolatry more hidden than the crawling of an ant. And shall I not tell you something to say to, get, to help you get rid of it? And he teaches him a dua. Allahumma inni a'udhu bika an ushrika bika wa ana a'lamu wa astaghfiruka lima la a'lam. O oh Allah, I seek your refuge in that I associate partners with you while I know, and I seek your forgiveness for that which I do not know. And in this particular narration, the Prophet ﷺ was telling Abu Bakr about the warning of showing off. And he said that a man might get up to pray. A man may get up to pray and he sees people are watching and so he lengthens his prayer. He beautifies the prayer. He doesn't pray the same way as when he's praying at home, he's showing off. And so in this way, although this is not a shirk in the sense that the person is no longer Muslim, please be clear about understanding that. But it is as if there is an infringement. There is an infringement upon something that should purely be for Allah, being given to someone other than Allah. Luqman is said in the Qur'an, وَإِذْ قَالَ لُقْمَانُ لِإِبْنِهِ وَهُوَ يَعِذُهُ يَا بُنَّيَّ لَا تُشْرِكْ بِاللَّهِ إِنَّ الشِّرْكَ لَظُلْمٌ عَظِيمٌ and the Luqman said to his son, Oh my dear son, never associate anything with Allah, for surely this is a zulmun azim, a great transgression, an oppression. And now zulm means that when you take the rights of someone and misplace them. So for example, if I have an employee, and that employee does some work, and now I owe him money, that employee is entitled to wages from me. And I withhold, I don't pay that person, I keep the money for myself. That is a misplacement of that person's right, and I have committed zulm, I have oppressed that person. Because I've misplaced the right that they are due. And so when we talk about shirk, when we talk about associating partners with Allah, it is where we ascribe something to someone else, that is due only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for example, when we say dua, dua is something that is due only to Allah. 
So if we were to call out and make dua to another entity or another deity, that would be violating the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now if someone does this in a major sense, for example, believing in multiple gods, that there are multiple creators or something like that, the warning is very severe. إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَغْفِرُ أَنْ يُشْرَكَ بِهِ وَيَغْفِرُ مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ وَمَنْ يُشْرِكْ بِاللَّهِ فَقَدْ إِفْتَرَى إِثْمًا عَظِيمًا Indeed, Allah does not forgive associating partners with Him in worship. But He forgives anything less than that of whom He wills, and whoever commits shirk has indeed committed a grave sin. Meaning that if someone holds this major belief that there are multiple gods, or something of that sort, that we all clearly understand is a red line. Unless that person repents, they will not be forgiven. But there are other things now that although they don't rise to that level, they don't rise to the level of making someone not be Muslim anymore or violate their iman, there are certain things that we are supposed to have a hypervigilance about. There are certain things that come to our worship of Allah, the purity of our iman, the purity of our statement of La ilaha illallah, of our love for Allah. There are certain things that we must be hypersensitive and hypervigilant, such that we don't even go near saying anything or believing anything that may even hint at a threat of possibly going down that road. And so in this case of the hanging tree, even though the companion is clearly not asking for an idol to be made, but that is the analogy that the Prophet ﷺ makes. And so now a Muslim, we understand, we understand some basic things. La ilaha illallah, la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. That no one, that Allah is the one that creates, there's no might or power other than Allah. There's no one that can benefit or harm other than Allah. And so if we attribute the power to benefit and harm to another deity or another entity, that starts stepping into this red zone. And so we see this type of discourse prevalent amongst us. We see people saying things like, speak it into the universe. Manifesting good energy, sending good vibes, good thoughts. That if you just think it, the universe will somehow reward you. Karma. All of these things that we hear over and over and over again. The good luck charms, knocking on wood, crossing your fingers, Friday the 13th, don't let a black cat walk in front of you. All of these things that are commonly accepted and part and parcel of our culture. When we sit and we examine critically, we find that these things are violating a right due to Allah. That what is the, what is the universe exactly? And what power does the quote-unquote universe hold? What exactly did Mother Nature create? What power does quote-unquote Mother Nature have to benefit us or to prevent harm from us? And so a person whose mind and their heart, first and foremost, are attuned to La ilaha illallah, when we hear such statements, we should go on red alert. We should have a visceral reaction that, whoa, this is something that is going down a very terrible path. And yet what we find is that we sometimes, we take part. Oh, I'm sending you good thoughts, you're going through a difficult time. Sending you my good energy. No. I believe in Allah who has the power to help you and to cure you. I will make dua to that Lord to help you. But what we find is that the society that we live in has a resistance to acknowledging the divine. See, they can understand that there is a divine element, that there are things beyond our control. They observe that there are four, quote-unquote forces at play. 
But rather than accept that this is divine, rather than submit to the divine, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah is a statement of submission. A Muslim is one who submits to the will of Allah, that submits to the command of Allah. Rather than submit, they seek to secularize. They seek to speak about God, they seek to speak about Allah in such a way that strips the world of the divine element. That we speak about the world in a way that we all feel comfortable with. Or we don't have to acknowledge that there is a God. We don't have to acknowledge that there is a deity that we should worship and submit ourselves to. And so we secularize. And we speak about it in ways that are palatable. Mother Nature and the universe. And all of these things. And the Prophet ﷺ, he told us, he said if all of mankind and the, of, and the jinn, if all the creation was they got to, to get together to benefit you in some way, to give you something good, they cannot give you except that which Allah has decreed for you to be benefited with. And if all of the creation gathered to harm you, they cannot inflict an iota of harm other than what Allah has decreed for you to befall you. One thing that is a challenge for us is that these types of things are not popularized on social media. They are pushed out to us in our algorithms, to our children's algorithms. Things that have become popular now that maybe weren't as popular a few years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, are making a resurgence. You go to the bookstore now and you find books of witchcraft and Wiccanism next to books of religion. You go online, you see videos being pushed out of astrology, horoscopes. You find people describing themselves in this way that, oh, I have the Sagittarius energy, or I'm a Libra, so I do this. Oh, I've got the Capricorn connection going with that person. Believing that the alignment of the stars of when we were born somehow affects our decree, our personality. We find something very interesting in the, uh, in the statements of the Prophet are they were still one companion. The Prophet told him, he said that you have two qualities that Allah loves. You have hilm and haya, you have forbearance and you have modesty. And this companion, he asked the Prophet, he said, Ya Rasulullah, these two traits that you are praising, that you say that Allah loves, are these things that have kind of been innate in me? These are just part of my inner nature? Or are they things that I've developed recently? And he said that you've always had it. You've always had it. And he said, Alhamdulillah, Praise be to Allah who created me in such a way that He gave me these two personality traits that He loves. How they think about attributing these things versus how we think about attributing these things now. Allah is the one that creates, He is the one that fashions, He is the one that molds things into the way that He wills. And so these things, we have to be very careful about how we speak about it. And particularly with astrology, there's so many narrations where the Prophet warns against it. Warns against sitting with the people of it. Warns against studying it, saying that this is something that leads a person down the path of disbelief. He said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that the one who consults a fortune teller, consults, not believes in what they said, asks. Such a person will have their prayers rejected for 40 days. For 40 nights. And so from the scholars have extrapolated that this means that we should be staying away from things like reading horoscopes. Some scholars extrapolated that this means we shouldn't even read fortune cookies because that is a type of fortune telling in a sense. As someone might say, brother, this is making a mountain out of a molehill. 
Take it easy. We got to be easy going. And what I put back is that we find from the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, times where he was easy going, even on serious issues, and times where he showed us that we have to be hyper vigilant. He told Aisha one time, he said that had all of these people not just become Muslim, I would have taken the Kaaba and rebuilt it on its original foundation. Because the original foundation of the Kaaba is rectangular, it is not square. That area of the Hatim where that cur- those curved stones are, that was part of the original foundations of the Kaaba. And he said that had these people not just become Muslim, I would have rebuilt it. Now think about how important, how big of a deal the Kaaba is. Its sacredness, its symbolism in our religion, the holiness of the land itself, all of these things, this is as major as it gets. And yet we find him being easygoing. We find him, sallallahu alayhi wa being easygoing. These people just became Muslim. If I go and mess with the Kaaba, they're not going to understand it. It might cause a problem. Therefore, I'm going to leave it alone. And yet, similarly, when the new Muslim who's been Muslim for a week says, Ya Rasulullah, make for us this hanging tree as a good luck charm, he was not easygoing. He was hypervigilant. He said, this is exactly what the people of Musa said. This is exactly what they say when they said, Ya Musa, make for us a god like they have gods. And so when we reflect our relationship with La ilaha illallah, our love for Allah, our devotion to Allah, our servitude to Allah, it demands that we have a hypervigilance about anything and everything that may come close to a hint of a threat of besmirching or infringing upon that right of Allah. We think about all the things that we do take seriously. Our kids' grades, our profit and loss statement. If you have a child that has a a peanut allergy, you call restaurants ahead of time, do you fry your food in peanut oil? What protocols do you have in place? Do you have clean utensils? You buy things at the grocery store, you call the company. Was this flour processed on the same belt as something that has nut products so there's no cause? We're hyper-vigilant. Because we know even the tiniest bit of cross-contamination can have a very severe reaction for someone that has that. And we're taught in our religion the thing that we must be the most hyper-vigilant about, the most uncompromising about, is our belief in La ilaha illallah, our relationship with Allah, our servitude to Allah. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam, wa ala rasulillah, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. You know, if you open the Qur'an, we talk about having a daily relationship with the Qur'an. If you make it a goal, for example, to read a page a day, maybe with a translation, it takes a few minutes. And it's something that should be part of our daily routine somehow, part of our daily conversation with our family somehow. But you just read any page, a basic translation, and just look at what are the big picture themes. Not a detailed analysis, not a detailed tafsir, just what is the big picture message being communicated on this page. And I would say that it is practically impossible to read a page of the Qur'an and not be reminded about these issues. To not be reminded, worship Allah alone. 
To not be reminded, do not associate partners with Allah. To not be reminded about the prophets being sent with the message of La ilaha illallah. To not see stories of what happened to the people who rejected that message. To not see ayat teaching us how to worship Allah. Telling us more and more about Allah, that He is Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Al-Wadud, Al-Ghafar, all of His beautiful names and attributes. This should be part of our daily intake, our daily development, our daily reflection. That love, that servitude to Allah, we must learn about Allah. And He tells us so much in the Qur'an and it doesn't require deep analysis, it's just look at the basic meaning. We repeat at least 17 times a day, we pray 5 times a day. إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُوا وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ You alone we worship, you alone we ask for help. We don't go to other created things to seek protection to seek the diversion of harm. Even the, even the Arabs of Jahiliyyah, they believed in a creator, they believed in an Allah. But they said that these idols have the power to harm or benefit us. These idols help bring us closer to that creator. They weren't atheists. It's just that they had introduced these partners. And that was the problem. And that was why we needed prophets, was to teach mankind about who Allah is and how to worship Him. The Prophet ﷺ tells us that on the Day of Judgment, a man will be distinguished in front of all of the creation. He'll be brought forth. And 99 scrolls will be laid out as far as the eye can see. And these scrolls will have an accounting of his deeds. His bad deeds, essentially. And it is asked to him, it said, do you deny anything written on these scrolls, these 99 scrolls stretched out to the horizon. And he says, no. Have you been wronged? Have the angels who recorded these deeds, have they done any disservice? Have they exaggerated? Have they embellished? No, Allah, they have not. Allah will ask, do you have any excuse? Maybe there's a reason for these things that you did, something to absolve you of this. The man says, no, Allah, I don't. And then Allah will say that you do have one good deed and you will not be wronged on this day. And a bitaka, a card, is brought out. And on this card is written, أَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهُ وَأَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا عَبْدُهُ وَرَسُولَهُ And then the scale is brought forth and those 99 scales and those 99 scrolls are put on the scale. And then that car that says La ilaha illallah is put on the other side and it outweighs all of the bad that this man had done. Because nothing is heavier than the name of Allah. Nothing is more important than the name of Allah. Nothing is more worthy of our, the mention on our tongues than the name of Allah. Nothing is more worthy of our, depend, our defense, our vigilance, our protection, our devotion than the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So may Allah make us of those who worship Him sincerely and grant us purity of heart. Inna Allahumma lakati salluna ala nabi Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu sallu alayhi wa sallimu taslima Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad kama salaita ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim innaka hamidun majid Allahumma atina fi dunya hasna wa fi al-akhirati hasna wa kinata abinnar wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa iqamu salah
Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to support the podcast, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Google Play or whatever podcast player you use. And please rate and review the podcast. As always, if you share it with a friend that's much appreciated, you can check the show notes for all the details and links. See you in the next episode.